Hello everyone and welcome to the first in a series of podcasts dealing with insurance regulation. I'm Kate McInerney, I'm a partner in our insurance group here at ANO, and I'm joined by Jennifer Marshall, who is a partner in our global restructuring group and a leading light in financial institution restructurings. So today we're talking about the tools available in respect of distressed insurers. Why are we focusing on that today, Jennifer? Well, hopefully this is not because we're about to see an insurance company get into financial difficulties. But there is a lot going on in this space. The Treasury and the Bank of England are putting a lot of effort into trying to improve the tools available in respect of financially distressed insurance companies. So perhaps they do know something that we don't. But tongue-in-cheek comments aside, the changes that we're discussing today are at least in part intended to align with international standards, in particular the Financial Stability Board's key attributes of effective resolution for financial institutions. So these podcasts are going to explore three different topics. So in July 2022, as part of a wider set of reforms regarding the financial markets, the government introduced two key changes to the existing insolvency and pre-insolvency tools in respect of insurance companies. And that's what we're going to deal with in today's podcast. But in addition, in January of this year, the Treasury published a consultation proposing the introduction of a resolution regime, similar to the one for banks that was recently used in respect of Silicon Valley Bank, but this time for insurance companies. And we will discuss that in our next podcast. And finally, the government has now concluded its review of Solvency 2, the Prudential Regulation Regime for Insurers and we will discuss the wide-ranging proposed reforms in our third and final podcast. Okay, so focusing on the Financial Services and Markets Act amendments, what are the key aspects of the amended legislation, Jennifer? Well, the first key change is in relation to the existing power under Section 377 of the Financial Services Markets Act 2000 to reduce or write down the amount of the insurer's liabilities where they cannot be supported by the assets. Now, for those familiar with bank resolution, I like to think of this as bail-in light because it allows you to write down liabilities but without all the protections and safeguards in the Banking Act. The second key change is the introduction of a ban on so-called ipso facto clauses or clauses that allow counterparties to terminate contracts with a distressed insurance company by reason of the insurer entering into certain defined insolvency proceedings, or using the write-down powers I just mentioned. Now, these types of prohibition are very common across Europe and the US, but until recently, we did not have similar provisions under UK insolvency law. They were introduced for the first time for normal companies during the pandemic by the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020, but with significant carve-outs for financial contracts. Interestingly, Schedule 13 of the Financial Services and Markets Act introduces similar prohibitions for insurance companies, but rather than carving out financial contracts, these provisions are targeted specifically at financial contracts. So you mentioned that there's an existing power under Section 377 of FISMA to write down. 
How do the changes compare with the existing law? That's a good point, Kate. There is uh, an existing power, but the government's concerned that that existing power has never actually been used. And so Schedule 12 of the Financial Services and Markets Bill tries to provide more clarity as to how and when this power can be used in the hopes that people will then use it more often. However, there is a change to the current position in relation to the write-down tool. So the court will have the ability to impose a moratorium to prevent certain creditor action during the period whilst the write-down order is in effect. Now, whether this means that Section 377 will be used more in practice uh, remains to be seen. And it's just worth saying as well that the introduction of the ban on ipso facto provisions is a change to the existing law, at least so far as the UK is concerned. As I mentioned, other European jurisdictions have had similar provisions for a while, as does the US, but subject to safe harbours for certain types of derivative transaction, for example. Mm. When can we expect these changes to come into force, Jennifer? Well, the Financial Services and Markets Bill has now been through the House of Commons and it is at the reporting stage at the House of Lords, so it's nearly finished its uh, journey through Parliament. It was originally intended to be finalised by Easter, but obviously that timetable slipped a little and it now looks like it might be the summer. But it will definitely be this year, so people should watch this space. With bated breath, no doubt. Um, Who's going to be affected Well, clearly the biggest impact of these provisions will be on the insurance companies themselves. And that's all UK incorporated insurance companies. And in theory, uh, foreign firms with a UK authorisation in respect of a UK branch. Um, But that latter bit is subject to the PRA consenting to the application. And it may not do that if it thinks that the changes would not be recognised in the insurer's place of incorporation. But the changes will also impact on counterparties or anyone entering into transactions with an insurance company, and they will need to be dealt with as part of the due diligence undertaken by those counterparties uh, before entering into transactions with insurance companies. And they will also need to be dealt with in uh, legal opinions, so I'm uh, suspecting a lot of work will come my way uh, in that regard. I think the key question that counterparties will have in relation to the write-down powers Uh, will be, could my debt be written down, pursuant to the write-down power? And will I be able to enforce my debt whilst the write-down power is being affected? And that, of course, you know, that could infect those lending to insurance companies, those investing in insurance companies, those exposed to insurance companies, derivative counterparties and reinsurance counterparties, including those based overseas. In relation to the ipso facto provisions, I think the key question will be, can I still terminate or accelerate my contract, notwithstanding uh, the ban on the ipso facto provisions? And that question could affect all counterparties of a distressed insurer. And will all contracts with those insurers be affected in the same way? No, but the definition of what contracts will be affected is quite complex. So the ban on the ipso facto provisions will apply to what are defined as relevant contracts. But this definition is incredibly broad and will include most types of financial contracts, including loans, bonds, security contracts, commodities contracts and derivative contracts. The write-down powers, on the other hand, exclude liabilities with maturities of less than seven days. They exclude certain employment liabilities 
And importantly, they exclude contracts involving financial services. So quite a different approach in relation to the two provisions. So the write-down powers couldn't be used in respect of loans, for example, mm. or the close-out amounts under a derivative contracts. But they could be used in relation to bonds or liabilities under reinsurance contracts. There is a carve-out for secured liabilities, but only those secured by a fixed charge, not a floating charge. And this could put a lot of pressure on lawyers to give opinions regarding the nature of the security. Which, of course, is never easy. Never easy, <laughs> absolutely. So I'm a creditor. Should I be worried? What creditor protections are there for me? Well, taking the write-down powers first... I've mentioned the carve-out for contracts involving financial services and secured liabilities secured by a fixed charge. And also, if you have a title transfer arrangement, you're in a good place because those assets are yours. In addition, the power can only be exercised when the insurer is or is likely to become unable to pay its debts. And the write-down has to be reasonably likely to lead to a better outcome for policyholders and other creditors than if no order was made. So it can't be used if the insurer is clearly solvent, for example. Now, the ipso facto provisions are much wider, but luckily there are protections for set-off and netting, similar to the protections that are found under the Banking Act in relation to bank resolution. Furthermore, the counterparty will still be able to exercise termination rights for things other than the write-down order or the commencement of the insolvency process, so, for example, a counterparty can still terminate for non-payment uh, or non-performance. But there is an important exception to that, what I call the snooze-you-lose provision. So if you do have a right to terminate for non-payment, but you fail to exercise that power before uh, the write-down power is used, you'll then have to wait for a second non-payment mm. in order to be able to use that power. The final protection I should mention is that the Financial Services and Markets Bill does envisage that the insurer will continue paying its debts, obviously subject to the write-down order, during the write-down process. And so if the insurer does fail to do that, then the counterparty will be able to exercise its contractual termination right for non-payment. And sort of thinking about some specific scenarios, how will these new powers or the changes affect those lending to or investing in insurance companies in particular? So in relation to the write-down power, as I mentioned, there is a carve-out for loans, but not for capital market instruments such as bonds. So bonds are clearly more in target than loans in that regard. However, both lenders and bondholders will be caught by the moratorium that may be imposed whilst the write-down order is being implemented. Now, that moratorium is very similar to the moratorium that currently applies in the event of an administration of a, an insurance company. And so hopefully the market has already got itself comfortable regarding the impact of that moratorium. In relation to the ipso facto provisions, lenders and bondholders can be prevented from accelerating their debt as a result of the write-down order being made or an administration of the insurer, but they can still accelerate for non-payment subject to that snooze-you-lose provision I've just mentioned. And um, other forms of contract, I mean, in particular derivatives, that's a subject close to your heart, Jennifer. Um, how will this affect derivative counterparties? That is something we've been looking at 
very closely because obviously getting clean netting opinions is incredibly important to insurance companies. And I think although the uh, provisions are a little complex, I think you do get there in the end. So in relation to the right down powers, there is a, a carve out for the closeout amount under the derivatives contract. And uh, you're also protected if you have a fixed charge or a title transfer arrangement. So that's obviously very good. And it's actually an improvement on the current position under Section 377. Mm. Derivative counterparties will be caught by the moratorium unless they have a financial collateral arrangement. But the exercise of contractual rights of set-off is not caught by that moratorium. So again, good news for insurance companies. In relation to the ipso facto provisions, that's the crucial one because you need to be able to close out in order to be able to exercise close-out netting. And there are safe harbours for set-off and netting arrangements. So, so long as your termination is part of that set-off or netting, then you should be okay. And reinsurers, um, we obviously advise lots of people in relation to reinsurance transactions. How do we think they will be affected? So where the distressed insurer has liabilities under a reinsurance contract, uh, those liabilities are capable of being written down unless they're secured by a fixed charge or subject to title transfer collateral. However, when you look at it the other way, recoveries under reinsurance contracts where the insurer has the benefit of such contracts, they are not affected. So in theory, the insurer could recover more than it's liable to pay to its policyholders. Now, it's possible that that will get dealt with uh, by an adjustment of the write-down order, which is possible under the legislation. There's also an interesting question, well, certainly interesting to a geek like myself, uh, as to whether these provisions could affect non-English law-governed reinsurance agreements. From a practical perspective, the government is of the view that non-UK law-governed reinsurance contracts should be repapered uh, to take into account the statutory amendments, a bit like counterparties are used to doing uh, in relation to some of the Banking Act provisions. But the key difference is that they're not proposing to make that a regulatory requirement, at least not for now. Reinsurance contracts can also be caught by the ban on termination rights in the event of a, a write-down or administration but many reinsurers will be accustomed to transacting on the basis that termination rights for cedent insolvency are unavailable in any event. But reinsurers should be aware of that snooze-you-lose provision I mentioned earlier in relation to termination for non-payment. Okay, fascinating counter through the changes to the Financial Services and Markets Act. And though we haven't touched today on the interaction with the wider insurance resolution recovery regime, any comment on that? There seems to be a bit of overlap. There most definitely is. And theoretically, both tools could be available and both tools could be used to write down uh, liabilities. My own view, uh, and this is confirmed by certain conversations we've had with the Treasury and the Bank of England, is that the resolution tool will only be used when the resolution conditions are satisfied. And broadly speaking, these are focused on the institution having systemic importance. So I think the write-down powers under Section 377 will be used for smaller insurance companies and resolution uh, will be left to deal with the big ones. And we'll be covering that in more detail in our next podcast. Thank you so much for that. That was extremely interesting. 
We look forward to being back with more on insurance recovery and resolution in due course. In the meantime, you snooze, you lose.